I do want to uh, just take a moment to recognize a group of people, some of whom are, are with us today. It's very rare every few years or so that we have the Boston Marathon falling on the Monday following uh, Easter Sunday. And so there's a number of people who are here uh, and a part of uh, our gathering this morning who are just in town visiting uh, as marathon runners. And we want to just take a moment to recognize you. And so uh, would you be so bold as just to stand up? Just stand up and we'll just give you guys a clap. Stand up if you're a marathon runner. We got a few of you around here. All right. Well done. Well done. All right. You take a seat because I don't want to make you stand any longer than you have to and be guilty of you not uh, qualifying for next year's marathon. And so, uh, hey, you've already won uh, after running uh, for, gosh, 18 weeks or so of training. You've already won. And this is just your victory lap, 26.2 mile victory lap. And so uh, I love you guys and grateful for you being here with us. And uh, we have, uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of week 14 of uh, an 18-week training plan, and I'll be running uh, in, in Maine in a month. And so I know what you're going through. I know the, the, what I call pavement prayer. You know, a lot of the, the running gurus tell you to come up with a mantra in your head and say it over and over and over again. Uh, we believers who follow Jesus, we just pray on the pavement while we're running. And so lots of miles of prayer. And so I know that, and uh, I know that uh, you're just uh, been training hard and praying, and we want to take the chance to, to pray for you now. And so can we all go together to the Lord and just pray for these folks and then also ask God's blessing on our time together? Let's do that. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we're here to celebrate you ultimately. God, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, displaying an act of love like the world has never seen before, where you stepped out of heaven, you entered into humanity, you lived sinlessly, you died brutally, And you rose again victoriously. So thank you. Thank you that it did not end at the cross. That three days later you came back to life. You displayed your power. Power that we've been singing about over Satan and sin and death. And the brokenness that we hear about every single day as we turn on our television. Or even as we open our eyes and we feel the brokenness in our own lives. We're thankful that your your resurrection shows your power over all of it. God, thank you for the marathoners who are here with us today. God, I pray that you would allow them to see tomorrow the payoff of months and even years of their training, their hard work, that they would be able to come and to run uh, this great race. We're thankful for them. We pray that you would encourage them, bless them, give them a sweet weekend with their, their family and friends who are here with them. May it be refreshing even while their bodies are being uh, just exhausted. So keep them safe. Fix their minds on you tomorrow. Help them to finish strong. And then finally, God, I pray for every single one of us that this morning would be catalytic to help us to run with endurance the race that is set before us as we fix our eyes today on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So this is your morning. Do exactly what you want to do. We'll be careful to give you all the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, uh, would you flip on over to John chapter 20? If you don't have a Bible, it's all right. I've got a big glowing Bible behind my head here. Uh, we've got Bibles around the room as well. And so if you don't have one at home, uh, you can grab one of those. And we would love for you to take that and break that in. And then we also have a Bible on the church app. And so you might not know this, but we have a church app. If you just go to your app store, uh, you can just type in Charles River Church and find us. And that's a way for you to stay uh, connected through the, through the week with uh, the church. And so we'd love for you to... Um, Grab that. So John chapter 20 is where we're going to be. Uh, while you're flipping there, uh, I, I've been coaching Little League Baseball for the past couple of years, and it's been a whole lot 
of fun. And, and I've become very familiar as a coach with that moment where the baseball players are out there and they're practicing and the game is getting long. And, and, and then you start to see the players on the field, maybe one of them starting to get a little bit squirmy. And then they start twirling that imaginary hula hoop with their hips. And you realize, you know exactly what's up. They have to go. I mean, they've really got to go. And so I got a, a seven, eight, nine-year-olds. And uh, they're in the middle of an inning. And they're waiting for three outs. And that out just can't come soon enough. And so they're, they're dancing. And then uh, just this past Tuesday, it was my son's turn. And so he was doing the dance. And then practice was over. And uh, we looked around. There was no bathroom in sight with the fields. They dropped the Porta Johns next month on the fields. And so we were in trouble. And so we hopped in the car, we took off, and we get home, or get, get en route to home. And before we get to the house, we hit this stoplight. And I did what any good dad uh, would do for his child at that point. He's just got to go to the bathroom so bad. You're thinking I ran the red light. I did not run the red light. I'm a law-abiding citizen and a pastor, mind you. But I did what any good dad would do, and I took my cell phone, and I gave it to my other son in the back seat. I said, hit record, and I just started tickling him really bad. And, and you're thinking, that is a cruel dad. That is a very bad dad. But I stopped as soon as I saw tears in his eyes because I couldn't tell if it was tears of, of joy and laughter or if it was, it was tears of, of pain from having to go to the bathroom so bad. But today, that's actually kind of weirdly where we're at this morning. And really? Where's he going with this? In John chapter 20, that, that's kind of where we're at today. That, that blurry line between happy tears and, and painful tears. You ever try to help a kid get through that? Uh, they're, they're sad, they're hurt, and then you just look at them, they're crying. You say, don't you smile. Don't you, don't, don't you laugh. You, you try to get them to laugh, and, and that's kind of where we're at today is that, that blurry line between the happy tears and the painful tears. I told you last Sunday, uh, we were at the start of Holy Week, we see Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9, 9, humble comes our, our king on a donkey, and so people are singing his praises, they're, they're hailing him as king, he's at the height of his celebrity, but in the midst of all this fanfare and this worship and this, this celebration, oddly enough, Jesus starts sobbing, I mean literally sobbing, wailing aloud, why is this? He's sobbing, he's wailing because he is brokenhearted over the reality that many, many, many people in that city are going to reject him. And so people are chanting and singing his praises, but that chanting is going to go from singing Hosanna to the king to crucify him, crucify him, crucify him on Good Friday. And he's wailing because many people would miss out on the freedom, on the hope that comes from following Jesus. And so he weeps for them. But I reminded us last week that he also weeps for every single one of us. I want you to hear me. God himself is personally invested in you. He doesn't care just about Jerusalem, that great city. He cares about every single one of us seated in Boston today. The Bible tells us that we can grieve his spirit, that the spirit of God can be broken for you because he personally cares for every single one of us. So Jesus cries and then on Friday Jesus dies and then today he's alive but then we also see someone else cries and I told you last week that tears bookend holy week both Sunday last week and Sunday this week last week Jesus cries he weeps and this week Mary Magdalene she weeps and she cries and it would be a nice clean sermon outline if I could just say to you Jesus cried tears of sorrow Mary Magdalene cried tears 
of joy. Unfortunately, I can't do that. Unfortunately, it's not that clean. Her tears on this Easter Sunday were kind of like my son's. They were blurry between tears of sorrow and tears of joy, painful tears and, and happy tears. And maybe, I don't know, maybe oddly enough, this might be some of us this morning, that we're here, it's Easter, and we're supposed to be really happy, but maybe for you, if you were to be honest with yourself, it's mixed with just a little bit of pain. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're managing, but you're, you're kind of hurting. Maybe you were able to, to put stuff in the Easter basket for the kiddos, but you're struggling. Your marriage is a mess. Your, your family is not turning out quite like you thought it would. Maybe you were able to get yourself to church for Easter and get that moment of reprieve and sing, but really your heart is full of anxiety or you're strangled by depression or you have this self-doubt going on or, or, or you feel like a personal failure, you're brokenhearted. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe, maybe uh, you're like, okay, I made it to church. Happy, happy, pastels, eggs, Jesus. But tomorrow, Pastor, it's back to the grind, it's back to reality, and I am absolutely exhausted. Pastor, this is not the real world. I do not wear fuchsia any other day of the year other than today. My wife made me wear it, right? I don't know what it is that's going on in your heart, but maybe we all should ask the question this morning, what bearing does Easter have on tomorrow? How could this day possibly impact the other six days of the week. In college, I was broke as a joke. I just, I, you remember that? I was broke as a joke, and, and I finally uh, had a, enough money to go to the grocery store. I went to the grocery store, and I bought one of those, uh, those barrels of, of mix for lemonade so that I could not just have nasty tap water, but I could actually have something that, that tasted really, really well. And I bought it at Walmart, and I remember uh, Using it, using it, and then I got towards the bottom of the barrel, and you could start to see some of the silver at the bottom, and I had to kind of stretch that out, you know, and, and so uh, less mix, less mix, less mix until it was water, and it just a little faint, faint taste of, of lemonade in there. And, and, and if we were to put our, our tears that we shed throughout the, the week, and I told you last week my goal here is not to try to encourage the men to get in touch with their softer side, and it would be a win if we all left crying. That's not my goal, but, but tears really represent the hurt and the pain and the struggle in our own lives, and if we, were, lives, if we were to put the tears of our own lives into a cup, there are seven days in a week, and Easter Sunday is just one, and did you know that every Sunday we celebrate Easter Sunday, so whenever we gather on a Sunday, it's not Saturday anymore, it's Sunday because it's the day that Jesus resurrected, and so Sunday is one day out of seven days, and if there was one tear of joy for every six tears of sorrows, don't the tears of sorrow dilute? the tears of joy? Or, or maybe we, we ask, am I supposed to have such a, a potent, concentrated experience with God when I come to, to a church service, whether it's once a year or it's once a week, and with, with hopes that maybe that, that potent experience will outweigh all the other tears, that it, that it will maybe last for quite a while or until I come back to church again or, or, or next Easter. And you might not think that you would hear this from a pastor, but listen, that thinking is, is wrong. It, it doesn't quite work like that. Church is not the answer for any single one of us to, 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 to outweigh our, our sorrow, to just 
potent, concentrated, churchy experience with Jesus. I pray that today would be a really strong Sunday. I pray that you would plug into the life of the church if you're not plugged into the life of a church somewhere. But listen, Sunday is not designed to outweigh the pains of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the daily grind. Church is not the answer. And so let's look into this narrative to to hear what is the answer. And so John chapter 20, we'll just begin in verse Verse 1, so would you look there with me? This is now on the first day of the week, that's Sunday. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away, taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths that were lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their home. So let's recap for just a moment if we can. Friday, Jesus of Nazareth, who had grown in in fame and popularity, uh, was nailed to the cross. Many had been following him. They'd been amazed by his teaching. They'd been amazed by the way that he loved the marginalized and and the outcasts, unlike all the other religious people of the day. And and they were convinced by his miracles at this point that he was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. But then they nail him to this cross, this brutal Roman torture, crucifixion, and, and, and he told them that was going to happen. They were going to kill me. They are going to kill me. They are going to kill me. But then I will come back to life. But they didn't remember that anymore. They had already forgot that. They couldn't fathom anything good because their pain at this point is just far too potent. And so Friday, crucifixion, Saturday, over the span of three days now, Sunday, the first day of the week, Mary goes to the tomb and when she gets there, that huge stone had been taken back, had been rolled away. Now, typically a person who was hung on a cross, a person who was crucified, their, their bodies would have just been discarded like trash. But there was this rich man named Joseph of Arimathea who had purchased a burial area, a, a plot for himself, and, and, a, and a cave where they would put a, a stone in front of it. And, and he knew that this Jesus was special, and so he gave up his burial area to give to this Jesus who had been crucified. And this would directly fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, that said that he would be buried among the rich in his death. Now, if you're skeptical in this room, we love that you're here. We love having skeptics in our midst. We are in Boston. Lots of you are wicked, wicked smart. And uh, we, have, we have skeptics in this room. And, 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 and I get it. Like there are some prophecies that Jesus maybe could have self-fulfilled. Like uh, the week prior. He, he, any, I guess anybody could have grabbed a donkey and rode on a donkey into Jerusalem. I guess you really couldn't have fulfilled the, the crowds of people worshiping you. But you could fulfill, self-fulfill riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. But listen, you cannot self-fulfill things that happen after your death. You cannot self-fulfill once you're dead. Somebody saying, I'll, I'll give up my, my, my burial plot for him. And, and today there are over 300 prophecies 
about this coming Messiah that Jesus himself fulfilled. If you're skeptical, we welcome you here. We love that you're here, but I want to challenge you to press in. Because so many people have questions, a question arises, and rather than pursuing the answer, they just turn and say, well, see, pursue the answer, press in. We deeply believe that Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and the scriptures are historically verifiable. You'll find answers in there. And so she goes to this tomb. The stone is gone. And so she runs and she grabs Peter. And it says the other disciple who Jesus loved. So the other disciple who Jesus loved is, is John, who actually God used to, to pen this particular book. And he's humble and he doesn't want to use his name when he writes about himself. And so he does refer to himself as the one who Jesus loved. He knows that Jesus had a special relationship with him. And, and we're really going to focus on verses 11 through 18. Uh, but I had to read this so I could give, in, give my obligatory Boston Marathon joke, right? Who's the fastest disciple? Did you notice it in there? Who's the fastest disciple? John is the fastest disciple. If you look at verse 4, he says, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Can't use my name because I'm humble, but I won. Just saying, right? And then then verse 8, he goes on, he, he drops it again one more time. The other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in. Hashtag humble brag, right? You marathoners tomorrow, you can absolutely, you can absolutely cross that finish line and, and start tweeting and, and posting pictures, pictures on Facebook and Instagram and snapping or whatever it is that you do. I mean, you just ran half the stinking state of Massachusetts. Hashtag no big deal, right? Just, you just do what you, you need to do that. And so they race to the tomb, both of them. John wins. Jesus isn't there. But then, notice verse 10, the disciples went back to their home. It wasn't clicking yet. He is alive. And they're going back to their homes. Look at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So let's zoom in on Mary now as John does here. This is the closest female disciple of Jesus. They had a really special friendship. And what is she doing here? She's weeping. Last Sunday, Jesus weeps. This Sunday, Mary weeps. Now an important clarification about her tears. Where is she at when she is weeping? She's weeping outside an empty tomb. She's weeping outside an empty tomb. Jesus plainly said, they will kill me. They will kill me. But after three days, I will rise. She walked with him, watched him perform countless miracles, even in her own life. It's been three days. And, and, and the tomb is, in fact, empty. It should have clicked for this woman. This is what Jesus said would happen. He is alive. Instead, she's weeping. And she's weeping painful tears, tears of sorrow. Life didn't turn out the way she thought it would. And so she, she looks into the, the tomb and she sees two angels. Anybody in here ever seen an angel before? Yeah, I didn't think so. She saw two angels and the angels asked, why are you weeping? At which time when an angel speaks to you, you should say, okay, okay, he's alive. 
She speaks with these angels, and yet it doesn't click yet. And, and, and maybe the reality for, for every single one of us, like this woman, as she's crying, as she's seen an empty tomb, as was prophesied, she's seeing angels. And maybe the reality for her is similar to our reality, and that is that, that sometimes our tears just don't make sense. You ever felt, maybe you're not physically crying, but your tears just don't make any sense. You've just been strangled by depression. If you've been there, you get it. I don't don't know why. It's hard to explain. It's not necessarily that life is terrible. I just feel awful. I feel like I don't want to get out of bed. Sometimes our tears just don't make sense. Maybe it's your anxiety. I I don't know. I'm just so anxious all the time. Heavy breathing. It just doesn't make sense. Maybe your stress doesn't necessarily make sense. Maybe the, the pressure that you put on yourself, you act like you're the president of the world and, and you put all this pressure on yourself like you have to keep the world spinning and, and, and maybe it just doesn't make any sense. And, and here's the question posed to Mary and the same question I believe because it's recorded in the scripture has to be posed to us this morning and that is why? Why are you weeping? Why are you so heavy hearted? Why are you so I don't know, angry? Why are you so consumed with everything going on? Whatever it is in your heart that's opposite of what should happen when you see Jesus come back to life, lightheartedness, celebration, uh, freedom, worship, why are you the opposite of that? Why, Why do I, even this week, even this morning a little bit, get the opposite of that? Why are you whatever it is that's identifying in your mind right now? We are outside of of her tears and we're reading something that's recorded in the scriptures and we can say, Mary, don't cry. Just look, turn around. There's Jesus. But we've we've all been the one who's who's weeping, who's heavy hearted. and, And so we get it. Sometimes your eyes are just so blurry with tears and the stresses and the anxieties and the struggles of life that you just can't see that God is up to powerful stuff all around you. In fact, that's exactly what happens for this woman. Her eyes are so blurry with tears, she can't, she can't even see what's around her. Look at verse 14. Having said this to the angel, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Same question. Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. So she looks into the tomb. She sees the two angels. Then she turns around and she sees Jesus. She doesn't realize it's Jesus, but she sees the resurrected Jesus. She can't see that it's him probably because her eyes are literally so blurry with with tears. She's so consumed with her pain and her her heartache. And again, I wonder if that's any of us today that that we're we're so consumed with whatever it is that's going on in our lives, we we just can't see what God is doing around us. Maybe you're missing God right in front of you. And, And then Jesus speaks to her. He asks her that same question, why are you weeping? I mean, that is, listen, And that is the question this morning for every one of us. Why are we weeping? Why are we so heavy, so stressed, so brokenhearted, so pained in our hearts? As if to say, in light of the events of Easter weekend, you don't have to be that way. You don't. Why are you weeping? And how does she go on to answer the question? Look down. 
She thinks Jesus is the gardener, and so she says to the gardener, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you laid him. She still doesn't get it. He's actually spoken to her, still hasn't clicked for her. Mary, you don't need to go get Jesus' body and, and drag him back to the tomb. He is right in front of you. She explains to him. She gives, here's her explanation of what's happening. She says, someone must have taken the body of Jesus. That's why I'm weeping because he's gone and, and I'm sad. And, and someone must have taken the body of Jesus. And I think every single one of us think that we have good explanations for our tears. We have good explanation for our stress. I have a very good reason why I'm anxious. I have a very good reason why I'm hurt, why I'm mad, why my, my heart is, is burdened. Maybe it's a financial hurdle or, or cancer or a broken relationship or an exam that's coming up that's so heavy on your, on your mind or this project at work is killing me. But the reality is our explanations for our tears, our pain, our struggle is irrelevant in light of the fact that Jesus is alive. It's irrelevant. Earthly explanations are irrelevant. Notice I did not say that Jesus was insensitive to your pain. But it is irrelevant in light of the fact that he is alive. Jesus is absolutely sensitive to your pain. In fact, He's already showed us that he would enter into the pain and be sensitive to the pain of this woman when her brother Lazarus dies. Jesus knows that he's going to resurrect Lazarus back from the grave. But what does he do? Shortest verse in the Bible, Bible trivia for you. Jesus wept. He doesn't have to weep. He could have said, watch this, step aside, arise, Lazarus. But he pauses and he weeps because he is sensitive to the pain that you're going in going through but you need to know that in light of the resurrection your pain is irrelevant your explanation is irrelevant there's no earthly pain there's no earthly hurdle there's no struggle there is no human explanation that can mess with us because Jesus is alive and if we know that in the depths of our being it absolutely changes everything Ephesians chapter 1, 19 and 20. God's power towards us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus absolutely changes everything. We have that power for the future, right? So that everything that we go through in this life pales in comparison, should we trust in Jesus, to the glory that's going to be revealed through the eternity that we're going to have in heaven with him. And so we have that power that hope for the future, but we also have it for, for the, the, the present, right? The, the stuff that we face today, every single struggle that we go through, we know that he's been through it and his power is with us and, and, and in us and enables us to, to be victorious over everything that we face today because of Jesus. But for now, she's weeping. And she's weeping until what? What changes? Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. 
So what changes for Mary that enables her to realize that her tears are irrelevant, that her excuses, her explanation, they're, they're irrelevant? What is it that changes? She hears the voice of Jesus. He calls her name and he says, Mary. Mary. It was that personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus that changed everything for her. And some of us, we know about the resurrection story. We, we, sure, we, we get it. We believe in, in Easter, but we have never personally heard the voice of the resurrected Jesus. We've never heard Jesus speak into our hearts in a very personal way. Until I'm praying, maybe today. Maybe today you're, you're sensing in a very personal way the resurrected God of the universe who came to earth, lived in your shoes the life that you couldn't live. He lived perfectly and sinless and died in your place and was buried. And as soon as we thought it was over, he came back to life. And, and he speaks to Mary. And maybe today you're, you're beginning to, to feel him, hear him speak to you. The Bible calls it that still small voice of God. Maybe he's stirring in you. You're, you're sensing something in your spirit. This desire to respond to him because he, he's calling your name. And that day that you respond to him, it changes everything. In fact, what happens in, in her life when she hears the voice of Jesus? She, she falls to the ground. She grabs on to Jesus and her tears, there's the blurry line. Her tears are no longer tears of sorrow, but her eyes well up with tears of joy. Now think back to what we know about Mary in the Bible. Think back to the few occasions that we see her story in, in the Bible. There's, there's really three primary stories of Mary. First, there's the one where she anoints Jesus' feet with expensive perfume. And people say, don't waste that. No, that's really expensive. You could, you could turn that in. We could build a big church building. Or don't, don't waste that on his feet. And, and she gets down and, and she pours it on his feet. And she wipes her feet with her hair. And what does Jesus do while they're scolding her? Jesus commends her. Another occasion we see Mary is there's a party at her house and there's Mary and her sister Martha and they're, they're, they're getting the party together and Mary goes and, and she sits at the feet of Jesus and listens to him and worships him and learns from him while her sister Martha is back in the kitchen and waiting on people and, and taking care of business and, and, and Martha gets upset because Mary is, is at the feet of Jesus and not helping do the work, do the dishes and she gets upset and, and what does Jesus do? Again, he commends he commends Mary. And then third, we hear this, this story today and, and she's again falling at the feet of Jesus and she's clinging to him. And in all three of these very commendable occasions, what is she doing? She's at the feet of Jesus. And the one occasion where we see it's not very commendable, what is she doing? She's standing and she's sobbing. And she's standing and she's bearing the weight of the world on her own shoulders. Posture of, I got this. I can do this. Crying and bearing it all in yourself. But the, the times that Jesus commends this woman are the times that she gets down. And she says, I can't. I trust you. I, I need you. I, I, I look to you. You're in charge. I, I worship you. I, I honor you. Jesus died on the cross so that you don't have to take it all on your shoulders. He takes it all on his shoulders. 
for you. He pays the price for your sin. He takes on your brokenness. This is God who made you, who loves you, who knows you. And then we all, every single one of us, the Bible says, turn our back on him. That's independence from him. I don't need you, God. And the moment you say, God, I don't need you anymore, guess what happens? The one who gave us the the breath of life says, okay, you're on your own. And because of that, we die. God gives us what we want. Independence from the one who gave us the breath of life. And yet God, so loving and so gracious, he comes into this earth and he chases us down, pursues us, lives in our place and dies in our place and resurrects. And he says, I've lived the life. I felt the brokenness. Didn't have to. Could have given you what you wanted and just wiped my hands of you. But I jumped in and stood in your place for you. I take the pain. Doesn't mean that you're not going to hurt. Does not mean that you're not going to hurt. You were going to hurt and you were going to feel pain on this earth, but you endure it in a different way because we do not grieve, the Bible says, as those without hope. We grieve as people who have great hope. It hurts, yes, but not so bad that we can't keep going because we know there's an end in sight. He bears the weight on his shoulders. When I was a freshman in high school, my brother got a free weight set. He started playing football. And not, not a machine, like a free weight set with the bench and the bar and the, the weights you put on. And, and so, I, you know, I, I may or may not have been interested in a girl. And so I, uh, I decided one day I was going to go pump some iron <laughs> as a scrawny freshman in high school. And my parents were, were gone out doing something, and we were old enough now that we could stay home by ourselves. And so my brother's upstairs watching SpongeBob SquarePants, and I went down to the basement uh, to uh, start lifting some weight. And I laid down on that bench after having put weight on the bar. And I remember hearing SpongeBob SquarePants on the TV literally just above where we had the weight set. And uh, I get up under that bar, and I lift that thing and just... <laughs> just landed on my chest and I, I, I just could not get the thing off and I just I started pushing and pushing and I could not get it off and so I started screaming for my brother Nick Nick but he had Spongebob Squarepants turned up way too loud and he couldn't hear me Nick help help I was I thought I was gonna die I just my chest was getting heavy and I was starting to breathe really hard and I thought it was all over and then this this God-ordained moment I look on the ends of the and I forgot to put the clamp on one side side over here I forgot to put the clamp on so I leaned the bar this way and you know what happened zing and then what happened boom <laughs> and <laughs> And I jumped up and and I ran up the stairs into the living room. I went, Nick, I'm here. And he looked at me. What are you? Why are you so excited? I said, I'm free. I, I, I almost, I almost died. I, uh. What did I do wrong? Basic rule of weight training is you need a spotter. You need somebody who can can be there and carry the weight. And listen, that's exactly what Jesus does for us on the cross is he shoulders the weight. The Bible refers to sin as though it's a weight. Hung around a person's neck and they're cast into the sea and they're drowned and they're dead. But Jesus says, listen, you don't have to bear the weight on your own shoulders because I got up on that cross and I squatted it for you. I took it for you. 
You have to trust in me. The problem with me and that weight set was self-reliance. And the problem, I think, with a lot of us is self-reliance. I got this. I got this. I got this. And here's where we start. As we start on our knees before Jesus. It's that humble posture that Jesus kept commending Mary. The humble posture of, I don't have this. I don't have it. You have it. I trust you. I look to you. You're my Lord. And so today, here's what I'm asking of all of us. I'm asking all of us to consider where we're at in relation to the Lord. The resurrected Jesus. Perhaps today you're hearing that still small voice and he's saying to you, your name. And you're sensing him say, do you trust me? Is it self-reliance? Listen, it's, it's that posture, not performance. That's what religion is, is performance. If I can be good enough, if I can, if I can do enough good deeds, if I can go to church enough, if I, if I can be holy enough, if I can be nice enough. Here's my question to religious people. How good is good enough? Do you think God wants you to live your whole life so that your, your hopes that one day I can stand before him in heaven and say, I think I was good enough. He would say, eh, just, just barely missed it. One more Easter Sunday, you would have made it, but you just, no. God says, you can know. For by grace, that is getting what you don't deserve. I deserve to be crushed under that weight because I was an idiot. For by grace, getting what you don't deserve, you have been saved through faith. And faith is when you trust in someone entirely. You say, I trust, I'm laying it all on the line. I put faith in you. You get what you don't deserve. You didn't perform for it. You trust in, you have a posture of, please take this off my shoulders. In fact, don't spot me. You just take the whole thing. I'm calling you today to trust in Jesus, to place faith in Jesus. The last thing that Jesus tells Mary in this account is he says, go and tell your brothers. Can I just tell you, that's why I'm here. That's why we do this. That's why we rent out a public school in Boston. Strange. Why? Because Jesus said, go and tell. You've had the tears wiped from your eyes and go and tell somebody. It's amazing. Listen, I don't preach because it's my business. It's my job. Listen, not a lot of money in this thing. I I do it because I've been changed. And now I want to go and tell. And I want people to experience what the Bible refers to as abundant life that's found in Christ. But you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. Are you going to keep explaining and, and trying to just take it all on your own? Or are you going to say, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Jesus, could you, would you take this? And he will. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe God is stirring your heart right now and he's, he's calling your name in your heart. And he's saying, would you trust in me? Would you turn from sin, which is ultimately not just the, 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 the few things that you do that, that, that you know it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That sin is ultimately just independence from God. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I don't care if it offends you or not. I, I'm going to do what I want to do. Would you turn from sin and would you turn to dependence on him? Turn from saying, I got this, to saying, please, you take it. You are God. You are strong. You are mighty. You conquered death. I need you. Would you guys close your eyes for just a moment? 
we like to do this every single week together is just take time to respond to the scriptures. And so God's word has been opened. His Bible has been opened. And the Bible says about itself that it's living and active. And so maybe it's proven to be living and active in your heart. And and something's happening in your heart. It's God speaking to you. And he's saying, would you respond to me? Would you today bow your, your, your heart to Jesus? Place faith in Jesus. That's what we're pleading for. Maybe you've never given your life to him. And, and today, would you turn from sin and turn to him? And call upon the name of the Lord, just like I called for my brother. But any, any human, it's not the relationship. Nobody, nobody can save you. Nobody can save you but God himself. And so God became a man. And so would you call on his name? As our eyes are closed and we're just reflecting on our own hearts, what have you done with Jesus? There's no better day than today, Resurrection Sunday, to hear the voice of Jesus like Mary heard the voice of Jesus. She was forever changed. If that's you and you say, you know, I want to give my life to Christ. Would you just, in, in your heart, say a prayer to him? Just a prayer of humility, a prayer of faith, a prayer of God, I need you and I trust in you. And he'll hear you and you become a Christian. The Bible says you pass from death to life, that though you die, yet you shall live because his spirit is within us and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that power is within our mortal bodies and gives us life eternally, heaven. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to say a word of prayer to the Lord. And if you want to give your life to Jesus right now, the biggest decision a person could ever make, you just repeat in your heart these prayers. It's not magic words. It's not hocus pocus. It's the state of your heart that says, I need you, Jesus. Repeat after me to the Lord in your heart. God, I need you. God, today the the Bible is beginning to make sense to me. I understand that you love me. I also understand that I've sinned against the one who made me and loves me. Yet I understand, God, that you love me so much that you became a man. And you died for me. You paid the price for my sins. And I believe that three days later, you came back to life. And it is my heart's desire to follow you forever. And I'm going to fail, but you didn't fail. And my faith is in you. Help me to follow you. God, I love you. Thank you for this great gift. Before I say amen, while your eyes are still closed, I know that there are Christians in this room who may be like Mary. You should have known better. You've had the right posture at some point in your life, but you stand up and try to go on your own again. What a, there's no better day than today to, to come back to the Lord. And just say, God, I, I just submit my life back to you. 
Not that you ever lost that relationship with Jesus, but it's been a little bit broken because of you. But he's like a good father. He doesn't leave you. So come back, son. Come back, daughter, to the Lord. So as we pray and as we sing and as we respond, I want to encourage you to respond to the Lord. God, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.